Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, brought to you by the Sportsman Channel. All hunting, all fishing, all the time. Contact your local network provider and ask about the Sportsman Channel today. Now here's your host of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, Christian Berg. Welcome to another episode of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. Once again, I'm editor Christian Berg and really happy that you took the time to listen to the show today and I think that if you're a deer hunter uh, anywhere here in North America you're going to be extremely interested in the topic of today's show and the guests that we have. Uh, the topic for today is uh, deer and predators and uh, we may get into some other species as well and our guest is a gentleman that uh, I imagine many of you are familiar with. Uh, it's Dr. Grant Woods and uh, Grant, I really uh, am glad that you could take some time to be with us here today. Christian, thanks for the opportunity. Well, you know, for people who don't know you, if there's somebody out there who hunts deer and has been living under a rock or something like that for the last uh, couple of decades, uh, I just want to brag you up a little bit because I'm, no, I, I am really happy that, uh, you know, I could get you here. I mean, this is big time for me to get a guest like Dr. Grant Woods for the last 30 years really uh grant has been devoting most if not all of his professional time as a as a as a biologist and as a hunter to just learning more about white-tailed deer their behavior their biology and uh pretty much anything you can think of he's got bachelor's and master's degrees in zoology from southwest missouri state he's got a doctorate from clemson university and uh, some of you folks out there may have heard of a product called Biologic. If you've ever hunted a food plot or planted a food plot or been to Cabela's or Bass Pro, you've probably seen it on the shelves. Grant was a co-developer, I guess, and helped introduce Biologic to the world and was really at the forefront of the whole food plot phenomenon that we see now. And more recently, Grant, you've been kind of diving into a lot of cutting-edge research in terms of habitat management and uh, wildlife populations. So that's a mouthful, but I think that's enough to at least give people a sense that this guy, he kind of knows what he's talking about. You know, you're very gracious. I'm just a, you know, I live that blessed life. I'm an avid hunter, and the only way I could get paid to learn more about deer was keep going to school or get a job in industry. That's just that simple. Well, you know, God bless that you found your way and and you're doing what you love and you just can't ask for much more than that no it's really is a great life you know mama mama invites me home when i've been out on the road my kids still love me and i get to play with deer so it's an awfully good life well that's awesome and uh and actually one more little kudo that uh, i'll throw in was it 2008 grant you were named the professional deer manager of the year by the quality deer management association right that is correct. That is correct. I, again, I've been blessed there, and, and um, you know, it's always great to be recognized by your peers, but more importantly, just the the reach out from hunters across America that have written us little notes or dropped us emails said, we appreciate your work or we learned something from you is really just a, just a great feeling for me. Yeah, and I imagine, you know, many of the folks who are listening today have, uh, by all means, they've read uh, articles that you've written or, or books or heard one of your seminars a um, lot of information that you've brought to the public and uh, I think you know I can certainly say for myself I appreciate it because guys like you are, are you know putting in the the hard labor and the hours and the number crunching to help make guys like me a, a little more effective you know with the limited time that we have to spend in the field so so that's great and you know the topic that that I want to take a look at today, it seems like, you know, I don't know what it is. Uh, I guess it, you know, in terms of coyotes anyway, I, I guess it's just that the coyote population across North America has expanded, I think, tremendously, both in terms of distribution and abundance probably in the last 10 to 20 years. And it just seems like everybody anymore, whether they think coyotes are a you know, a serious threat to the local deer population or just are recognizing the fact that they're there. Um, there's a lot of curiosity about trapping them, hunting them, uh, wondering if, if you need to remove them. And uh, I know that's something that you've actually been 
very aware of at your place. You you actually have a 1,500-acre property, I guess, called the Proving Grounds, which is near Branson, Missouri, where you live. And you've had an opportunity to really look at predators and predator control up close and personal on your own land, right? Oh, I have. You know, my wife and I, I'm from this area originally. It's the Ozarks. It's not an area known for big deer. Uh, and therefore land is inexpensive. So about eight years ago, we were able to purchase an old cow ranch uh, for, for you know, something we could afford. I just wanted acreage. I knew if I could get enough acreage, I could, you know, I could make some stuff happen. And I did not know how difficult it would be here at what we now call the Proving Grounds. It's just that name come from, you know, if it works here, it works anywhere. In the first year, literally, Christian, I'm a big walker. I walk all the time when I'm home. And, of course, we just bought this new land. It's very hilly, mountainous, so I was trying to learn every valley and every crook and every bench and find every good white oak tree on the whole place. And in the first year, just walking literally gads and gads of miles, I saw one deer. It was a tail just busting through some brush in front of me and 11 sets of deer tracks. In a year? One deer. In a year. I keep records. You know, I'm a biologist. So I write everything down. And now we have over 70 deer per square mile, just awesome quality hunting, Boone and Crockett deer, and, you know, just great family. We don't sell hunts or anything, by the way. It's just a place for, my, for me to do some research and my family and friends to recreate. That's our mission for our property. And, and for me as a researcher to say, okay, if you're a guy like me who's, you know, got one tractor and one back, me, and a limited budget, what can you do? You know, what's the best tools to achieve better quality hunting for me and my family and friends. That's the whole mission of the Proving Grounds. Gotcha. And and obviously, you've done lots and lots of things uh, in terms of, uh, I'm sure you've done timber stand improvement and some cutting and how diversifying your habitat and putting in food plots and all that stuff. But focusing in on the idea of predators, what have you learned in the seven, eight years that you've been there about maybe the predator population that was in place when you arrived compared to the situation that you have today? And what sort of a role did predators, do you think, play, if any, on the deer population? Or was it more just a, a, a scenario of poor habitat? Yeah, no, great great questions. I think predators had a great role, and we'll go through that. I was seeing scat and tracks of uh, predators all over the place when I was only seeing this, you know, 11 sets of deer tracks. My population was so low that it's what we call a predator pit. A few fawns that were being born and survived, if we lost 50% of them to predators, it was just devastating to our deer herd. We couldn't get any growth. We weren't growing fast enough to replace what was dying of old mortality or poaching or whatever. So I had trapped as a child. Well, let me back up and say, in almost all the scientific publications, except a few older ones, you usually find the nuggets in the older, more solid stuff when researchers really what I call the hook and bullet crowd. They really wanted to grow more game animals. We've kind of evolved now to where a lot of researchers are more, for lack of a better term, not interested in stuff that hunters are interested in. And I'm a hook and bullet guy. I mean, I want to hunt. I want, you know, mm-hmm. if there's going to be a deer out there, I want to see it. I don't want the coyote seeing it. You know, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm, I'm, I'm selfish. I grow deer so my family and I can recreate with them. And I don't grow coyotes so my family can recreate with them. Matter of fact, my wife has a few chickens in the yard here, and we don't like coyotes at all. But um, I was seeing on this sign, and I had trapped as a child, and I hadn't trapped in years. And I love trapping. Just, you know, to be smart, be a good enough woodsman to get a predator to step in a little two-inch circle, the, you know, the pan of a trap. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about getting a deer in a two-acre food plot or a deer within 20 yards of your bow stand. We're talking about encouraging an animal to step within two inches. Right. You really got to know the animal or, you know, to have any repeated success. Everybody gets lucky every now and then, but to have any repeated success is really awesome. So I bought some traps and, and went and visited, spent a day or two to pick up some old trapping friends of mine and started trapping. And I just really got ate up with it. Matter of fact, I, my wife will tell you, if I could make a living trapping, I'd be a trapper versus a deer biologist. I mean, I love deer. They're my first love, but I really love coyotes and bobcats. And it's a love-hate relationship. I, I love the biology of them, and I love their tremendously skilled predators. And I'm a better deer hunting, much better deer hunter, for learning more about coyotes and bobcats. Much, much better. But I started removing coyotes and, and improving habitat simultaneously. There's, let me say this. There's no one magic bullet. There's no one thing you can do on any deer property 
that all of a sudden you have a great deer just because you did one thing. Right, right. And, 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 and also, before we go any further, just to kind of take a step back and say, real quickly, Grant, I mean, everyone knows that, a, you know, yes, a coyote will take a fawn or, you know, maybe a sick or injured uh, adult deer. But on a population-type level, what's sort of your feeling as to how big of an impact coyotes can be? You don't want to wish you wish your answer, but that's what you're going to get. It depends on the population and the habitat. The hills and valleys where I live, scent movement is every day. You know, thermals are rising or falling every single day. So coyotes can locate every deer on my property a non-issue. And if you have a relatively low population, they, they will kill adult deer and keep that breeding population down. B, and, and more important, and I don't think hardly any researchers or hunters until recently have realized, coyotes keep deer on alert. They stress deer. And if coyotes are really stressed and on alert from coyote predation, we dumb two-legged predators just don't have a chance. If they're alert enough to be avoiding coyotes all the time, it makes it extremely tough for humans to hunt deer. And I'd like to take you with that in mind. First, we'll talk about conditions, the stress on deer. We don't really think about stress on deer. And put this in very realistic terms, some brilliant researcher, and I do not know them personally, went into Yellowstone pre-wolf release and studied and recorded the average body weight, antler size, and calf production of the Yellowstone elk herd pre-wolf, just a couple years Mm pre-wolf. Okay, and think now, 10 years before that reintroduction of wolf, we had a massive forest fire burn, 2 million acres Yellowstone. The forest out west, of course, regenerate much slower, so 10 years is just now getting in prime food production. We're in the East Coast. Two years later, it's grown out of reach of a deer already. Growing seasons are short out in Yellowstone. I work out there, um, and so it's just now prime food. Then the wolf comes in and, and absolutely unequivocally just wipes out a whole bunch of elk, so you have fewer animals and better food. Any scientist would tell you, oh, your, your remaining elk are healthier, higher body weights, bigger antlers, more calves per cow. Went back and repeated that same researcher, researcher's project and just the opposite is true now you've got more weight and fewer elk but you have smaller body weights smaller antler size fewer calves per cow and the reason is stress they put radio collars and gps collars on those elk and they're spending much more time vigilant with their head up looking around trying to find that wolf than head down eating okay so there's some very real direct costs if you will in the terms of mortality and indirect costs in the sort of biological costs associated with the stress. Absolutely, and let's boil it right down. We're talking inches of antler development reduced because of stress of too many coyotes harassing their deer all the time. Whether they kill the deer or not, they're they're causing stress measured by, I don't want to get too detailed, but cortical steroids in the blood of the deer. We can pull some blood and know exactly how stressed that animal is. It's not like a psychologist sitting a deer on the couch and saying, hey, are you feeling bad today? You having a bad day? Because... <laughs> Wiley Coyote's after you. We can measure this. This is a tangible piece of science. So, so would it your, would it be your contention that even if you have an area, um, well, let's just say your property today, which is, you know, been dramatically improved, and like you said, you've got seventy deer per square mile, and uh, probably have very very healthy habitat habitat conditions across the property. All that being said, you still have. Uh, just as much of an interest, if not more interest, in controlling your coyote population than you did the day you got there because, you know, there's just really no good that can come to your local deer herd from having them there. There's not. Now, with that being said, short of massive poison, with legal means, you're never going to get rid of a coyote population. They move into areas so quick and so rapidly, we're just not efficient. So I just want to reduce the coyotes as much as I legally can period. But I, I need cows reduced on my property for two reasons. I want healthier deer. I want as many deer as I have quality food for. Mm-hmm. And I want deer that my family, I have a you know 11-year-old and 8-year-old daughter that both like to hunt. I have a 79-year-old dad that loves to hunt. I have friends that love to hunt. I want them to have interactions with deer. Mm-hmm. And if deer are scared every day because they're being harassed by cows, so those number of interactions are, are low in quantity and usually low in quality because the deer are so scared. Man, if they get any indication there's a hunter around, boom, they're gone. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk a little bit about coyote control and removal because, 
you know, I would say certainly for myself here in Pennsylvania, um, you know, my friends and I will take an occasional coyote sort of incidentally during mm-hmm. our bow hunting or our gun hunting. And most of the people that I know that take coyotes, except for just a handful of real dedicated coyote hunters uh, that I'm aware of, you know, it's kind of incidental. And I think a lot of times people think, well, if you see a couple coyotes running down the ridge and you pop them off uh, with your 30-06, then you've really done a good thing for the local deer herd. But it's a little more complicated than that, isn't it, Grant, if you really want to have a uh, measurable impact on a population-type level? It is. Let's take that two ways. I think a lot of the scientists, have, some of my fellow researchers, have potentially and in, unintentionally misled some hunters in that they say, well, if you do just that, you know you're out hunting and you happen to harvest the incidental cow, you, you're not even, you're not doing good, or you may potentially make it worse because now you've got a void, and several coyotes will try, fight for and come in your area to take up that void. Coyotes, unlike deer, are extremely territorial. Deer are not territorial, uh, and that a lot of hunters don't understand. But deer are not territorial. Coyotes are extremely territorial. They will fight to the death over their territorial boundaries. Hmm. Uh, on my property, I've realized that calling and hunting is pretty ineffective because it's fairly, you know, it's a wooded closed, you know, I can't see three or four yards like when I go coyote hunting out west. So mm-hmm. coyotes circle to call, I don't ever know they're in the area, they bust me, they're gone, I kill very few by calling and shooting. But trapping, traps working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, two or three months out a year can really have a big impact if you have enough traps out on a local coyote population. A. B. If you don't trap every year, the next year your numbers will be just as high or higher than they were year one. So trapping is really the only way because coyotes, again, these young males and females are getting pushed out of their territory, and they have to go find a new territory. And let's just say here at the Proving Grounds, boy, I do a great job, and I remove a bunch of coyotes one year, and I'm feeling really good about myself. I'm the man, I've got that done for five years. The next year when all these coyotes disperse, and I've got these less food plots and a pretty high rabbit population and a lot of deer and a lot of turkey poults, and they're pushing around looking for a new place, and they don't smell an adult coyote here or a dominant coyote here. This is home. Yeah, it's an attractive place to come set up shop. Yeah, so literally the research has shown some great research 30 years ago in Texas on large tracts land, 10,000 acres, not small like I have. Coyote, removing cows can be extremely effective at getting more deer and turkeys through the year and better body conditions while they're going through the year but it's an every-year process. And the ideal time to remove coyotes, which is difficult in Missouri because of our legal coyote season, is right before or during fawning season. So I'll give you, a, if I could, just a perfect example. I have a, a client. I'm a consulting biologist in northern Alabama. He's got about 2,000 acres of land, and this guy's really into it. I mean, he's got great food plots and good timber management, and you know, his friends all play by the same rules of deer harvest. And it's going pretty good, and cows start moving in that area, all of a sudden, the deer herd just tanks. Just, you know, numbers go way down. And I'm looking at the harvest rates of what they've harvested and the amount of food they're planting. Now, I just can't make sense of it for like a year or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the and population said, should be growing, right? Yeah, or stable at least. I'm like, David, I really think this is a predator issue. And some of my fellow colleagues said, no, 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 no. Coyotes are non-issue on deer, which there's some research that says that, and it's wrong. I'll just go on record saying that's wrong. So we got a graduate student, my good friend, Carl Miller, Dr. Carl Miller over at University of Georgia, and I become his advisor, and this, this young man does his master's project on predator-deer relations on this 2,000 acres of private land. And I know I'm not that great a trapper, so we hire a professional trapper to come in, and, and first, Corey, the graduate student, we use cameras and, and actually web cameras. This, this is such a cool project. We've got web cameras watching the food plots on the property, so I can go on my laptop anywhere in the world and watch all of his food plots. Mm. I mean, just a really high-end type research project. Is just this for still the going on, Grant? Or? It, the web cameras are still there. The, of course, they're not public. We don't let the public see them. They're not released to the public. Don't everyone email me and ask for that website. It's just a <laughs> private individual that's really in the deer. Gotcha. Really, really in the deer. But when was this? I mean, this is real research that we're talking Very about. Re- when when re- was this conducted? Just published. Just published last spring. Real research. Okay. University of Georgia. As a matter of fact, the research won the student paper at a year award. It's been highly touted as one of the most favorable research projects in years because it dispelled a lot of myths. So we go to first year, and we figure out the deer population and the amount of fawns surviving per doe. Lock it down solid. Measure it three different ways, do all the neat stuff, okay. Then we had a professional trapper come in 
on, on 2,000 acres of land, he catches right off the bat 22 coyotes and 11 bobcats, a bunch of coons, possums, whatever. But he keeps trapping right through the year. So we take a few, we just keep taking a few more. Now we're down to one or two a month, one or two a month. The next year, the fawn survival rate jumped 176%. Nothing else changes. Same food plots, same strategy, everything stayed the same except we removed predators. And, what, and do you know what the raw numbers were pre and post trapping? Roughly? Uh, we put, I do remember one number, we had like 80 more buck fawns survive on the property. Hmm. Now, there's going to be some of those fawns die from, you know, car accidents and deer have accidents. They break legs, they get diseases, stuff happens. But you've got to have those on the ground to even get your population going. So, and, and just removing, now I want you to think about this now, removing 22 coyotes and 11 bobcats in the first big push, so to speak, and then a few more incidentals as the year went along. Mm-hmm. The, the more important thing than the, the fawn recruitment, I would have guessed that most guys would have, because coyotes eat something. Okay. Sure. More important thing is how much easier those deer got become to observe by the hunters. Mm. The enjoyment factor went up exponentially, and there is no real way to quantify that. I mean, we can ask their opinion. I'm not again. I'm not into the cycle babble stuff, but we could do a you know rate your hunting experience on a one to five or blah blah blah. Going there and talking to them and seeing the smiles at camp and knowing. Again, I'll go on record and say the enjoyment factor went up exponentially because deer will now move in daylight hours they would move a little freer they weren't looking over their shoulder at every little thing and if deer are trying to avoid a coyote avoiding hunters is real easy because we're stinky <laughs> so you know it's interesting that you talked about efforts that you've done at the proving grounds and this client of yours here in alabama has got i think you said two thousand acres what about for the average guy who doesn't necessarily have a big piece of ground like that, mm-hmm. uh, even mm-hmm. myself, you know, here in eastern Pennsylvania, it's kind of an urban and suburban landscape, and I'm doing pretty well, relatively speaking, to have, say, a couple hundred acre piece sure. of ground that I can hunt on. Um, can I make any measurable impact on the coyote population if I can only hunt or trap on a small piece of ground? How, how big of an area do you need to control to really do a control program for coyotes yeah that's a great point no one knows the smallest amount yet but we understand this that coyotes are extremely mobile and they have a defined home range so although they're not living and dying on your land there in eastern pennsylvania they're passing through there mm-hmm. and just like the one guy that that shoots every yearling buck that moves in their neighborhood he can kind of spoil it for some other guys in the neighborhood if they choose to interact with more mature deer gotcha same thing with coyotes, but even to a larger degree because they are so territorial. So, yes, you can certainly remove coyotes for the neighborhood off of just one property. And the deer, and if you really remove them hard on that property, we've seen this happen, then the deer will start congregating on your property. The deer's home range overlaps that area. Mm. So, uh, it's, so it's not... That's the safety zone. In, in your... It sounds like what you're saying is if you're serious about wanting to do this, it's not so much important that you control a lot of land what's more important is that you be consistent in your efforts to control trap consistently year to year for an extended period of time each year yeah and and one thing i've learned the hard way myself because again i make shamefully make this admission on a national show that i'm not a great trapper i wish i was but i'm not uh and, and so if you go into a property like yours where you really need to make your first effort your best and you spend the first two years learning how to trap, you're going to educate coyotes about the smell of traps and the smell of scent associated with traps and whatnot, and you won't have the results you want. What I've found is just two weeks, if you can trap for two weeks right before fawning season and really get them set right and do right, you can have a tremendous impact. But if you spend those two weeks pinching a few toes and educating coyotes that, boy, every time they smell a piece of rotten deer meat or whatever you're using for bait down the hole, there's a trap around there, your success will plummet. So I trapped figured out I was doing wrong, took a year break. So the coyotes literally did not, were not conditioned to my trapping style. Mm-hmm. Come back in and put the hammer on them. So, and I strongly suggest now getting with a, prof- I'm not one, I don't have these services, so I don't sell anything, but get with a professional trapper like I've had to do and hire someone to either teach you or come trap your land one year and you learn from them so you can set your traps the following year. Mm-hmm. So, and so and you're saying just, even as little as 
two weeks a year is sufficient? As, as little as two weeks a year can make an impact. Now, all year long, where it's legal, some like Kansas, you know, you can trap all year long. Uh, it, this depending on state-by-state state level, all your loan control is better because you're going to have, again, these dispersers coming to your property. Sure. But and if you don't have the time to do that or the resources, if you're spending two weeks right before fawning season really intensively removing predators. So you're talking in the northern, you know, half of the country, you're looking at like April as a prime April, time? May, April, May is prime time. Gotcha. Prime time. Okay. There's no doubt but now, and researchers have turned their heads. I'd like to share, if I could, just one more research project with the listeners. Sure. Good friend of mine in South Carolina working on a much larger study. Again, looking at the impact of deer, a big place. It's a big military installation. It's where our war-grade nuclear fuel is stored. So a really tightly secured area, 300 square miles. But awesome. Always been awesome deer hunting, deer cover, and they lab the public in for controlled hunts, whatnot. And I mean, it's just a in that part of the world in South Carolina, that's the place to hunt, okay? Deer population starts plummeting. No one can figure out why. Not killing enough deer to drive that. Why is it going down? I, I and some other people tell them, say, man, this has got to be a coyote deal. got to be a coyote deal. Great researcher, friend of mine, he is employed to study this, goes on it, and he does some really cool work, cutting-edge work. He puts what's called vaginal transmitters. We capture those, they, not me, capture those before they have fawns, but they're pregnant, put a transmitter in her vagina, when the fawn is born, it ejects that transmitter, that, which now sends a different signal, so graduate students can go find that fawn just within hours or minutes of when it, when it hits the ground, okay? What will they think of next? Awesome. <laughs> okay, 67% of those fawns never made it through the first couple of days because coyotes killed them. Wow. Okay, now here's the cutting-edge of research. I mean, research is such an awesome tool for hunters. Used to, in the old days... Like, you know, I'm 48 years old, and back when I was in graduate school, we did look at the site, and we'd try to find a paw print or some scat or whatever and try to figure out what, what ate that fawn. Because the fawn at that stage, just fresh born, the skeleton is still just soft calcium, and it's just like finding a, a pink cherry mash out in the middle of the woods. There's no sign left, okay? Mm-hmm. But now they just take swabs, cotton swabs of the kill site. Mm-hmm. Send that off for genetic testing. Tells us if it's a coyote or bobcat, if it's a male or a female, if it's the same coyote that killed the fawn a quarter mile away. Wow. So what we've learned is it's not just one or two rogue coyotes that are doing the killing like everyone used to think. Mm-hmm. Every coyote that smells, sees, finds a fawn, eats it on the spot, period. Then, there. We've had sites where coyotes and bobcats were on the same fawn within a matter of hours. Wow. One competing for the other. So, now just, who's, again... Who- Who's the top dog in that paradigm? Is there one or the other that typically will you know, be it, dominant? Or? You know, it varies depending on local populations. Coyotes can just build up to big populations, and coyotes hunt totally different than bobcats do. Coyotes are running all the time and using their nose. Bobcats have a horrible sense of smell. Probably no better than yours and mine. They hunt by seeing it. You know, they, we, for, I try to teach hunters this all the time. We can never hunt like a coyote, ever. Hmm. We're, we're foolish to try. God gave us the skills to hunt like a bobcat. We can have good optics, good eyes. We can be slow. We can use our brain to figure out where the game is going and get in front of them. Mm-hmm. We can never be a coyote-type hunter. We don't have the skill set to do that. So bobcats hunt totally different. So you've got two different really successful predators after one prey base. And if you have big populations of both of them, it's hard on that prey base. And what about uh, in terms of trap density? Uh, is there any sort of conventional wisdom or uh, a ratio that you found works well in your own experience of how many traps I'm going to need per so many acres to effectively kind of cover the landscape? Well, i got to tell you, most of the coyote trapping literature comes from out west because they're still trapping right now to protect sheep herds and cow herds and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And land ranches and whatnot are so large out west, they talk about you know pretty low densities. I think that the eastern paradigm which i would fit in is totally different so like on my place 1500 acres offset 24 foothold they're not leg hold that's a bad name foothold is what you actually catch the coyote right on the paw it doesn't hurt i've had coyotes be asleep in the trap when i drive up there hmm. all this nonsense about being painful and hurting the new modern traps new structures i've had coyotes now when they wake up yeah they're jumping around they're trying to bite your leg off but when you pull up there and chuck <laughs> you know 100 yards away and you got right. your binoculars trying to see if something's in your trap site I've seen them laying there literally asleep. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I have 
I'll put about 24 out on my land. I would put more, but it takes time to run traps. It takes trapping is a very high energy effort, mm-hmm. very high energy effort. Um, the other secret is is don't set your traps all in the same style or use the same bait because your condition, you know, they're coming along in a pack and one of them gets caught, the rest of them associate those smells and whatever with danger. Something's not right. Gotcha. So, you know, I'm I'm going to my local slaughterhouse and get some beef liver and I'm going to bait some traps with that. When I kill a deer, I have my scrap meat left over because we process one deer. I'm going to let that rot down and if I got a bucket because rancid meat is more smelly and much more of an attraction to coyotes than fresh meat. Mm-hmm. Bobcats won't touch rancid meat, so you got some fresh meat for bobcats. And there's all kinds of scents and urines and all kinds of stuff in the trapping supply houses. What I found, just me, again, I'm, I make no claims to be a professional trapper. I'm a hunter, and I read sign. I figure out where there's coyote scat, where they're moving, where there's coyote tracks on a repeated basis, and that's where I set my traps. I seem to be pretty successful at that. And, and, I, and, and the most important thing for me as a amateur trapper is when I quote unquote bed the trap, put it in the ground. I make sure it's 100% stable. If I put my thumb on one side or the other, it doesn't shift because coyotes. It's like a deer working a scrape. That's why I don't hunt a lot of scrapes, even though I've, you know, I did my master's degree on scrape research. I love them. I think I understand a little bit about them, but I don't necessarily hunt over scrapes because when a deer comes into a scrape, they're in a high state of alertness. Pulling my bow back, making movements, whatever I'm doing, is more difficult than in a transition zone where deer are just passing through. Coyote comes into a trap site, and it's smelling whatever smell you've got out there to attract them to step in that two-inch circle. Yeah. They're in a super high state of alertness. I've used motion-activated video cameras to watch this. And they're, they're walking on their tiptoes. They're on edge. Or they may take an hour to approach the trap, literally. Wow. Make sure that trap is solidly bedded because if they step on there and it tips just a little, they're out of there. Now, obviously, from year to year, you can measure, um, you know, your your deer population or your fawn recruitment rate if you've got the the wherewithal to do that. But what about just from a from a coyote population standpoint, how do you know when you're being successful or how do you know how many coyotes are there to start with? Is it just if you're catching a lot of coyotes at first and not so many in the future, then you you kind of assume that you've got the problem under control or is there a objective measure for that sort of thing? Well, there is a measure. I'm not sure a lot of people use it, but there's a couple of measures. On our, in Alabama, for example, we use what's called scent stations. We, we take a rancid smell. It's a kind of a standard rancid smell, rotten egg smell that a lot of researchers use. And you rake about a meter circle or yard circle in the dirt. And you put that smell right in the center. And then for so many days in a row, you go look for tracks. And, you know, it's a trap cow indices. They didn't tell you exactly how many you have. But, you know, if you're getting fewer tracks in those circles this year than you did last year, your cow population is down. And you don't put any traps or anything, so there's no reason for them to avoid it. You're just making a scent that they would like, and they come sniff around. And gotcha. you get, you know, you get deer, coyotes, possums, coons. You get all the tracks in there, and, and so it's an index. Like most measures in biology, are really indexed and not absolute counts. And you put those. We like to have about three scent stations for every mile of road on the property, because at night coyotes travel those roads or run in the roads. Period. Mm-hmm. I never put a trap over like five feet off a road because that's where they're going to be anyway. They're going to be running those roads. Wow. And and so what's a reasonable, you know, measure of success that you found? Have you found that uh, through your trapping programs you can reduce the coyote population, you know, 20, 50, 70 percent? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you could probably, if you're a really professional trapper, you can probably reduce it 70 percent that year, but realize you're going to have to reduce it another 70 percent the next year. They will absolutely repopulate. I mean, you know, for most landowners, most landowners aren't, you know, like the King Ranch is 825,000 acres. Mm-hmm. It'd be a fantasy to think we could control coyotes on the King Ranch. But if we did, then in the center of the King Ranch, let's say the center 100,000 acres, boy, you could probably hold it down for several years in a row. But all the guys are out there like you and me on 200 acres or 500 acres or 80 acres or 1,000 acres, whatever it is, they're just moving in the next year as fast as we can take them off. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. The other real easy way to do is, of course, the old siren call. You you blow a siren that goes through all the frequencies that a, a typical siren does right at dark. Every coyote in hearing distance is probably going to howl at it, hmm. unless you do it too much and they get conditioned to it. And so it's called a howl census. 
And you know, I can go out here on my back porch and crank one of the old handmade sirens out there, or hand, hand-driven sirens, you know, it's got a crank on it. Mm-hmm. Crank it for about 20 seconds, hit that high note. Actually, I have my kids do that because if I'm standing next to it, I can't hear for the next two or three minutes anyway. Get off, and as soon as I quit hearing that siren, I unplug my ears and listen for the coyotes, and I'll tell them he packs I have around the area because they're coming out in hell. Interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, that... Uh it's it's a lot more it's a lot more in depth than most people people realize and sounds like based on what you've said there's there's not really uh anybody out there that probably couldn't gain something from controlling coyote populations in their hunting area whether it's a significant increase in the number of deer or even if it's just uh, uh an increase in the the huntability and the enjoyment of your hunting or antler growth and what have you i mean it's there's a lot of factors or a lot of pieces to that puzzle for sure. You know, really, especially in the East Coast, we've got to remember those deer populations haven't faced coyote predation in a long time. And now a lot of eastern states are having, even South Florida, I do a lot of work in the way South Florida, down by Lake Okeechobee, going there for turkey season, actually. Do we call that work? I, I call it work anyway. Uh, and, and the number of coyotes down there versus just three years ago is incredible. And uh, is there any indication that deer in areas where coyotes haven't been or somewhat less uh, uh, able to, you know, survive the, their presence? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, absolutely. You know, I live an easy life here in Branson, Missouri. If I was taken to Afghanistan right now, I wouldn't really know what I could and couldn't do. When I go to the grocery store without someone telling me, you know, what should I do? Well, deer don't have that form of communication. So when a major predator like a coyote moves in, and those fawns have not been taught by by the does how to respond, how to avoid it. There's a learning curve, and some won't learn. Some will fail. Mm-hmm. And the price of failure is death. So there's a huge, huge response there. And, and you know, the state of Georgia is down 100,000 deer in their harvest the last couple of years. Uh, you blame it on one year on a big acorn crop field. The hunters aren't hard enough, hunting hard enough to use out in green fields, so they're not hunting the acorns. And next year you have an acorn failure, and they say, well, you know, the deer are doing well. At sooner or later, you got to say, we've got less deer than we used to have. Hmm. Interesting. Let's, uh, let's take a little bit of a side road detour here briefly, because I actually watched a video that you had on your website, and it got me thinking about some other predators that don't get a whole lot of press. It seems like the coyotes get, get most of the media attention, and the other guys kind of slip through the, the, the cracks. But I actually watched a, an interesting little clip about uh, 39, I guess a series of 39 different trap sites that you're running on the proving grounds for other kinds of critters like possums and coons and skunks and things like that and the impact that they can have not only on deer but turkeys in particular and the positive benefits that you've seen from controlling some of those other fur bearers. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, I think you're talking about a, the video we just had on growing deer uh, make sure we're talking about the right ones. We've right. done a couple of shows here. Yeah. And and here I use just real simple cage traps, live traps, or you want to call them, and a couple other type traps to catch raccoons and possums and skunks. Of course, raccoons are the number one turkey nest predator nationwide. Uh, they just, boy, raccoons, if it rains, you think about a hen, a hen turkey sitting on a nest for 28 days straight. And before that, she's going to that nest site and depositing an egg for anywhere from 5 to 17 days in a row. So we've got well over a month of turkey coming and going from one place. And if it rains any time during that month, it's called the wet hen theory, actually. It was developed by some great researchers at Mississippi State. Wet turkeys have a smell that even humans can smell. I mean, they sure. really smell bad. Mm-hmm. Well, raccoons have a tremendous sense of smell. He smells that wet hen on a nest. He's going there. He probably won't kill the hen. He may or may not, but he's going to bust up all the eggs. Mm-hmm. And so here at, the, at my place, we just, you know, you can, again, catch raccoons fairly easy. They're not near as trap shy as, as coyotes. And started saying, okay, my family and I like the turkey hunt. Well, we like raccoons, but raccoons are mainly nocturnal. You don't see them that much. And I'd rather hear one turkey gobble then have a lucky chance of seeing five raccoons. So I just said, okay, I'm making, I'm the manager here. I'm going to make a choice that I'm going to favor turkeys, and to favor turkeys means something has to give. I'm going to take out all the coons and possums and skunks I can. Mm-hmm. And we have been, we have been very successful with that. We've removed about 50 
raccoons, possums, and skunks annually for four years in a row. And my turkey population, Missouri's population statewide is kind of declining right now. We've had several bad nesting seasons in a row, rainy, cold, damp conditions. Mm-hmm. But just the opposite of my place, my turkey numbers have just quadrupled. I mean, they've just it's a great place to turkey hunt now, an awesome place to turkey hunt. Gotcha. And, and, a, and a big part of that has, has increased nest success. We were seeing poults and, and, and clutches of turkeys this spring, and my native quail population, I'm not a big quail hunter, but I sure like hearing quail and seeing quail. Right. I mean, it's just, to me, it's just part of my outdoor experience, and, and I'm flushing coveys of quail here now, and that never happened the first few years. Well, that is great. And you actually talked a little bit in that video about the fact that uh... – when it comes to deer, obviously a raccoon isn't going to kill an adult deer. Maybe they can get an occasional fawn. But you have, I guess, seen uh, on trail cameras and things like that where, you know, raccoons eat a lot of the same things as deer, and they can actually have some stress factor on the local deer population, right? Yeah, unquestionably. Coons are a stressor. And by the way, I would much rather walk up to a coyote or bobcat than a coon in a trap. Coons are literally mini grizzly bears. They are super fast, and they will bite anything that gets close to them. They are extremely aggressive. Uh, you know, coyotes, if it's the dominant alpha male, you try to rip your leg off when you get close. If it's a subordinate, they're cow down like a dog. And I, I know trappers that will actually pet them just to, you know, the macho guys, I'm not that brave, just to show it they can. But a coyote in a trap, if it's a subordinate member of the pack, they're really cow down. Mm. Bobcats usually try to hide from you. Uh, a coon, he comes at you <laughs> hard. I mean, every time hard. Mm. Um, and coons, of course, they eat persimmons and blackberries and all stuff that I really want deer to eat. Again, I'm the manager here, and I'm favoring hooking, hooking bullet species, you know, deer and turkey, what my family wants to interact with. And you can't get rid of all the coons. I mean, we're, again, moving 50 a year for four years in a row, and we're catching just as many now as we did year one. The one the shift I've made is the first year I was catching 27-pound coons, which you think about 27-pound raccoon. Yeah, that's no a big, doubt that's, that, that's a fat raccoon, man. Yeah, that thing can take a, a fawn down, no problem. No problem. And if they find one, they're eating it. No doubt about it. I'm talking about a newborn fawn. Right. Um, now, our average weight is 10 or 11 pounds, even though we have better food pots, more corn and beans, better grain than ever, but we're catching yearly males dispersals. Our sex ratio the first year was about 50-50 of coons caught. Again, being a biologist, I, yes, I weigh and sex every raccoon and possum and skunk that we kill. Our sex ratio now is 90% male in captured predators, mm. captured raccoons. Because while we're getting, we have really effectively reduced that resident population right. at my place. But we get new, disp- and coons will move five miles, no problem. We're getting those new coons moving in all the time, and it's constant every year. Well, Every the, year. Yeah, and the take-home message is sort of the same as it was with the coyotes, which is... Um, you know, you can get a handle on it relatively quickly, but if you don't have that consistent year over year, you're going to be right back where you started or even worse off if you if you don't remain vigilant. Well, and, and another factor here is, and I just looked last night, uh, fur prices are horrible. When China's economy is down, when the Russian economy is down, our fur sales are way down. So, you know, fur, fur trappers serious trappers are not trapping for fur this year. They're not doing it. They can't even pay for their gas. You know, prices are so low. Coyotes have sold recently for a dollar or two apiece. You just mm. can't You can't compensate for your time or your gas at those prices. So right now, we're having more and more predators in, in most areas of the United States. The only thing that's going to wipe them out is disease because they're not being trapped or shot, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And raccoons can build up to huge densities on local basis, like 100 coons per square mile on local basis. Just think about my place here, okay, 1,500 acres, catch about 50 coon, possum, skunks, what I call turkey predators, every year. That's a predator for every 30 acres. How can a turkey that's on a nest for 30 days survive that? Yeah, it's almost like uh, beyond comprehension that one predator or another is not going to visit that nest site in a month, right? That's right. <laughs> so if, if, if I was a serious turkey hunter or deer hunter anywhere across America, I'd have me a few, you know, I just use cage traps or a little trap called Little Grizz and the cheapest dog food I can buy because the cheaper the dog food, the more it smells usually. Mm-hmm. And you want a real smelly substance. Some guys use sardines, but I found they're a little bit too expensive and I haven't caught it in messy and I haven't caught any more raccoons using sardines and I have cheap dog food. 
So I go buy the old 50 pound bag of cheap dog food and I put some in my trap and I take a can. I just sling some across the road, always trapping right by roads, you know, interior roads, not public roads. Right. And and I just make that hands on Gretel trail right across the road. Coon's going to walk that road at night, cut that smell, pick up a few morsels, but follow it to the bigger bait site, which is in the trap. And they'll be trying to bite me in the morning when I get there. Mm. That is, uh, it's interesting. And like you said, it's, it's time consuming, but if you're, if you're serious about it and you, you know, you're looking for something else to do, I guess, when you're not in the stand, the predator control can certainly kind of become a, an addiction in its own right. Right. I mean, it's, it's fun too, right, Grant? Oh, it's fun. I mean, I love it. It's like Christmas every morning. What'd you get in your craps this morning? And the other thing, you know, I've got two young daughters and they like to go with me, and I take their friends with me. And then, we, of course, we process the furs. I actually just take them to local tax tournaments. It's very inexpensive relative to other stuff we do. And my kids take those furs to school. Well, you know, we've kind of got the house, their neighborhood, where all the kids want to come to. We've got the basketball go, and we're shooting bows in our yard, and we got funky targets to shoot at and stuff like that. We want to know where our kids are, so we want other kids coming here instead of our kids going somewhere else. Well, this this really plays into wildlife because we've got a bunch of coon and bobcat and coyote hides hanging all through the house off a lamp or thrown over a chair or whatever. And the kids at first are, you know, not our kids because they just live with it day to day, but the other kids come in, they're a little like, well, what is this? And when you tell them and all of a sudden they're rubbing it and touching it and they see how fine that leather is and it smells good and it's fun and I let them play puppets with it, you know, who cares if they get one dirty or tear it? Because now you've just introduced a kid at a young age that, hey, trappers and hunters, they're also the guys that play basketball with me and give me a Snickers bar, you know, and taught me how to shoot a bow in the yard. All of a sudden, you're a good guy. Mm-hmm. And I can spend two hours with a kid and do away with everything they're going to get with 18 years or 10 years or 12 years, depending on where they go, a public education that says we're bad guys. Right. I mean, it's just, to me, that's a huge factor. And all the kids, I mean, I can't describe to you how many kids come to our house. We're a kid station over here. And, and all the kids just see furs. I don't have to shove it in their face or do anything. Then they start asking questions. Well, that's a whole bunch of kids over time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think trapping. And trapping, you know, you take a kid, a young kid deer hunting, sit down, shut up, don't move for three hours. That's not fun. But you get in the pickup and go run a few traps and eat a Snickers bar and, you know, have a soda pop and maybe you catch a coon, maybe you don't. Man, that's a way to introduce them into the outdoors that's much funner than sit down and shut up for three hours. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, what are some resources, Grant, for people who maybe uh, listen to the show today and they think, "Yeah, you know, I—that's something I've been thinking about," or I, I, I've, you know, I sense that there may be a predator issue on my property. Um, where can people go for a little more information if they want to kind of start their own predator control program? Some resources that have been helpful to you. Um. Well, I just literally just searched on the web. There's two or three chat, I don't know if they're chat rooms or forums or whatever about trapping, and a couple of them are really educational. It's not a bunch of guys bickering about Ford or Chevy or whatever. They're actually passing on information to new trappers. One of them is out of Ohio. I'm trying to call the name. It's something Sullivan's. I think it's Sullivan's Trap Line or something like that. And, and they do a great job. I'm not connected with them at all, but they do a great job of keeping it educational and keeping the trash talk out of there. Um, I I started my children and me with a product called, again, no association, free endorsement here, Hilltop Cage Shop. They make a a trap, a little small trap for coons and possums that's just super easy to set. And if if you're in an urban area in Pennsylvania and you catch the neighbor's chihuahua, you can just let them loose for free. It's not going to harm anything. There's no (laughs) danger, no damage. That's a real concern in an urban setting. You know, Mm -hmm. you got got old lady Houlihan's putty cat in there, and you got to make a decision. I won't tell you what my decision usually is, but, you know, everyone's got to make their own decisions out there. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to watch the stew when I come to your house for dinner, Grant. I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. Um, and I encourage people, unless you have a trapping background, to start with these live, they're called live traps or cage traps because they're super easy. And you know what? If you're going to go out town on your family vacation for a couple of days, just shut the door. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to worry about it. Right. And, of course, follow your, all states have trapping regulations. Some are vastly different than others. Most states have a trapper's education course. And I went and took one in Missouri just as a refresher. And, met, you know, I didn't, I got to tell you, I didn't learn a lot from the course, but I sure learned a lot from some of the guys I met at the course. Gotcha. It was just a great way to follow up. Most states have a trapping rendezvous once a year. 
Right, or a Trappers Association. Yeah, and Trappers Association hosts Rendezvous, and I try to go to those every year because Trappers are really, I've got to tell you, they're some of the best outdoorsmen I meet, better than, shamefully say, some of us bow hunters because, again, when you can get that animal to step in two inches, Mm -hmm. not within a 20-yard sight pin range, there's a huge difference. Sure, sure. So, so, man, I... Trapping to me, I mean, I do it because it's a good biological thing to do for my management program. Mm -hmm. It's a very fun thing to do, too. Well, you know, Grant, uh, for the people who are listening, I mean, we've talked for the better part of an hour on just one topic in this wide world of whitetails. And believe me, listeners, when I say that, you know, when it comes to Grant Woods and, and whitetails, you know, he's probably forgotten more than I'll ever know. And, uh, I mean, we could do 100 episodes with this, and if people want to know a little bit more about what you're doing with deer and deer management, not only on your property, but things that you've learned as you travel across the country and uh, do, you know, property management for clients and and conduct research projects, where can people kind of find you, Grant, and and learn a little bit more about what Woods & Associates has going on? You know, if, if it's okay, just the easiest way is just to go to growing deer.tv and just real simply every we get this request a lot so every week i just put a new video update uh of what basically you know trapping was what i was doing that week i was trapping so that's the video show saturday my daughter and i went out and filmed some late season soybeans because i think standing soybeans in late season is about as good a food source as you can get so whatever's on my mind that week whatever research i'm involved in whatever i'm hunting or doing is that's what that week's show is. So growingdeer.tv is is how I really try to communicate to fellow hunters out there. And there's even a place on there where people can send emails and ask questions and things like that, and you've got a blog, and uh, there's a bunch of stuff up there, Grant, so it's informative. Well, thank you. Thank you for pointing that out, and I enjoy it because it just is impossible to communicate with every hunter like I'd like to and learn from them. So that's just a, a format we could manage that we could, you know, learn and share information simultaneously. Well, that's great. And, uh, again, I just want to thank you for joining us today. I, I know that, you know, as I said uh, when we were setting this up, I, I really feel like there's a lot of misconceptions out there about predators and predator control. And I think that you, you helped clear a lot of things up today. And you gave people, a you know, a good overview of, you know, the impact that predators can have and some common sense things that they can do to try and do some predator control if they're interested. So I had a, certainly had a good time talking and, and learning some of that stuff, and hopefully we'll get a chance before long to catch up again and, and talk another topic. I will look forward to that opportunity very much. And, you know, I told you off the air, but I'll tell it on air. Gosh, come hunting with me this fall. Oh, baby, you're going to make me look bad now if I don't come, Grant. I <laughs> well, might have to you know, grab I, the calendar. <laughs> I, I, I'm, uh, I thought I was hanging myself. Actually, I'll make that invitation in a public forum so you can uh, you can't, you can't hold my feet to the fire on that. But, you know, we love sharing hunts here at Proven Ground or wherever, and, and we like learning from other people. Well, thanks, Grant. I'm definitely going to have to see if we can follow up on that. And uh, you take care, and I just wish you all the best in 2010. Uh, health, happiness, and uh, a couple of wall hangers. Uh, same to you. Thanks, Grant. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio with editor Christian Byrne. For more information on this and other topics, pick up a copy of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on newsstands now.